with Julia Christensen, who is the president of Yorkville University, situated in Canada, but also offering online programs. I met Julia when you came back from World Economic Forum in 2019 or 2020. Thomas Yuli is a mutual colleague of ours. Today, what we're talking about in this episode is the bit of an update on what's going on with the Global Responsible Leadership Initiative, the podcast I did in 2015, mm-hmm. a bit of that, and then a whole lot of, of Julie's experience as an as a educator in the higher education. We're going to be talking about transformation, business schools, the relevance of business schools to global issues, United Nations Where has the Global Responsible Leadership Initiative, which basically had pockets of innovation in business schools actively engaged in moving toward the UN SDGs, Mm -hmm. what have you been seeing in the last six years? How has it changed? Maybe I should just tell the viewers a little bit about my background, because I think that might help put my answer to this question in in context. As Don has shared, I've had a career in, in higher education. For about 30 years, I was on faculty at the University of Guelph and then just recently became president of Yorkville. When, when I was at Guelph, that's when I first joined the Globally Responsible Leadership Initiative. The, the business school there, we had decided to embrace what turned out to be a really prescient vision, and that was to be and develop leaders for a sustainable world. That vision came out of a number of retreats and focus groups with various stakeholders, and including our students. It was clear that there was a real hunger for a different kind of business school. It really reflected Guelph's values and its vision, which was to improve life. I was looking around for a community that I could engage with to get insights right on on how we might create a different kind of business school two groups i joined were really influential and supportive one was the united nations and the principles for responsible management education initiative the other was the globally responsible leadership initiative and the gri i just found a lot of kindred spirits many of them were deans of business schools taking on a similar challenge to create ethical leaders uh, to support the development of social enterprise business that embraced stakeholder capitalism as opposed to uh, only focusing on on the needs of the shareholder. It was a a wonderful opportunity to engage with folks and and learn about what they were doing. One of the the groups that I helped catalyze within the GRLI, something called the Deans and Directors Cohort. And what we decided to do was to welcome deans and directors of business schools who wanted to get together and not just share why they wanted to change their schools, but how they were going about doing it. That was where the magic lay. Trying to create transformation within a university environment is very tough. That's probably the understatement of the century. Yeah, universities really embrace tradition Within that group, we started sharing what strategies were working because we were trying to change all aspects of the system. And that group is still going strong. Um, Really delighted to see that. Of course, with many organizations, we all had to pivot uh, because of COVID. So a lot of the GRLI's activities prior happened in-person meetings in groups of maybe 30 people coming together from all around the world. But what we learned during COVID 
is that we could actually get together pretty effectively without doing all that flying, right? Mm -hmm. So being a little kinder to the planet and, and still getting lots of benefit from engaging. New to the GRLI is the active participation of two um, of the most significant accrediting bodies for business schools. That's AACSB and EFMD. And I'm actually proud to say they are very active partners. One of the things I've learned is if you want to create change or if change isn't happening, understand the reward system that surrounds that. What business schools need for legitimacy is accreditation. And so those standards for accreditation can have huge impact. Really delighted to see these two accrediting bodies on the board of the GRLI. I would say amongst many university disciplines, they are really leading the way in expecting to see evidence of a sustainability-aligned agenda with emphasis on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. The GRLI remains incredibly relevant that it pivoted successfully, and it's a place for disruptors to gather educational disruptors and corporate disruptors that really want to understand sustainable leadership and how we support that development. Okay, thank you very much for that. There are consequences to not changing. Are business schools, do you think, doing the the kind of scanning required of the environment to know what's changing out there, how's it going to impact it? Because the system is pretty rigid. In my observation, there's a cycle in business school that is really hard to even, it's hard to get anyone's attention at times. <laughs> what are you seeing there? It's a great question. And I know when we embraced the vision that I shared to develop leaders for a sustainable world, there was lots of people that said we were nuts. What would those values have anything to do with a business school? When you look at the system in which business schools operate, there's different Rankings, some considered far more prestigious than others. My recent ambition is to really challenge those rankings. One that's very well known is the Financial Times. It proclaims to rank the best business schools in the world, but if you look at the metrics and who participates in that ranking, it's largely U.S. schools. What the metrics are really focusing in on, if you look at the weighting, is the salary impact on the graduates. Uh It's graduates from MBA programs as well. You might think it's a business school ranking, but it's actually an assessment of the return on investment that MBA students get in terms of the career uptick once they've graduated. What was their salary when they began the program? What was it when it ended? What you really end up with is a list of programs that are directing students into careers largely in financial investment, investment bank, these kinds of careers, you could argue, are (laughs) at odds with a sustainability agenda. What is ironic is that within the Financial Times metric, they have a list called the FT50 of journal articles that they proclaim to be the best. Now, that's only 10% of the ranking. But what has happened, because of the prestige of the Financial Times, business schools from around the world have embraced that list of 50 journals as the gold standard of faculty research. But they have little to do with sustainability. And I I actually continue to work with a research team at the University of Guelph, and, and we're publishing in this area. In fact, 
few of the journals, few of the articles embrace sustainability-focused topics, the exception being the Journal of Business Ethics. Other journals, high-quality journals, in, in other rankings, are very much aligned with a sustainability agenda. But the business schools have largely bought into this FT50 list. So you look at the rankings and you look at the metrics and it helps explain the behaviors. What I was busy doing in Davos during the World Economic Forum was facilitating a number of discussion groups about how these rankings need to change. Fortunately, the Canadian clean capitalism magazine, Corporate Nights, Mm. has introduced an alternative ranking for MBA programs as well as undergraduate business programs in Canada. They are using different metrics and we need more of this, right? We need to have business schools that understand that there's a different approach that they can take. Also in Davos, we, we launched something called the Positive Impact Rate. It's a rating as opposed to a ranking. It's the view of students. It captures the perception of students essentially as to what extent they believe their business school has prepared them to make a positive impact in the world. It's the student voice, and it's focused on the curriculum and the student learning experience. Increasingly, we're starting to see these other opportunities to be ranked and for a business school to claim credibility in the world. I have the pleasure of serving on the United Nations Higher Education Sustainability Initiative that is promoting a different approach to rankings so that business schools can be aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. It's tough to overcome those preconceived notions of a definition of quality or good or success, but that's in essence what we're trying to do. That's a complete shift in orientation, essentially. Exactly. A couple of things are coming to mind. One of them is, how did you get involved in the UN? What took you to the SDGs? Some people are saying, we need to get rid of them. They're not serving us and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, we've got a framework that came out of the business school in Lausanne, gap frame, where you could have more strategic conversations at a higher level on the gap between what each nation is doing and and where it's at. Business can make a huge difference in that. We're not even using what we've got, is what I'm saying. What brought you to that conversation? So one of the things I've learned as a leader is that whatever brilliant idea you have, somebody probably already had it. You should find (laughs) out who that is and hang out with them. That's why when at Guelph we created this vision um, that I first connected with the the Globally Responsible Leadership Initiative, and then we became a signatory to Prime. Under the auspices of the United Nations, there's an organization called the Global Compact. Those are profit-seeking organizations that have become signatories to the United Nations and made a commitment to do business better, to do business in a way that values people, planet, and profit. At some point, after the Global Compact was formed, they decided that it would be a great idea, and I absolutely agree, to have a companion organization to which business schools would become signatories. We did that. We became a signatory to the Principles for Responsible Management Education Initiative, or PRIME. Global Compact and PRIME as companion UN initiatives to support ethical and sustainable business. My business school became a signatory to that. A signatory meant you would report biannually on your progress, the innovative things you were doing. You would have an opportunity to attend events, share with peers some of your most innovative ideas. 
And through that, we became known as being real innovators in this space. And I think just like everything, right, you have people who are claiming to be doing certain things and maybe you're doing a bit of greenwashing and then others where it's really authentic and people can come up with a lot of great examples of things they're doing in alignment. We developed a reputation for that and, and that led to an invitation to address the United Nations General Assembly in New York City on behalf of Prime Signatory. That was an incredible honor to address heads of state and corporate leaders on the desperate need for a different kind of business school, one that really understood the power of business to do good in the world. Ethical business is a business that takes a a long-term view that really does balance the needs of its stakeholders. And when you get that right, you can achieve amazing things because it becomes a self-sustaining enterprise. It's an enterprise that is not dependent on government grants. It's, It's not dependent on philanthropic activity, but people value what you have to offer and you be responsible in that offer. And now you're a self-sustaining enterprise doing good in the world. So that's the notion of business that I became really excited by and committed to helping provide an education to students who would learn those skills and the values and hopefully inspired to graduate and help make the world a better place. We need it. We need we need plenty of people on the team planet to pull this off. I want to just look at what you've experienced as an educator, because anytime you introduce something new, there's pushback from within the system, deeply buried within the system that says, no, that's not the way it's done around here. We've seen it happen over and over again. It happens in companies all the time to the point where I think I did an interview in my previous podcast on the organizational immune system, mm-hmm. which is really those just those deeply embedded beliefs about how things are done. Mm-hmm. What have you experienced with that pushback? Because it takes a lot of heart to do this kind mm-hmm. of work. You've got to really care. Mm-hmm. And you sometimes get hammered on with respect to the people that would rather keep the status quo because it's safer, pays money, et cetera, et cetera. There's mm-hmm. lots of reasons. Mm-hmm. What, are you, what have you experienced as an educator? Yeah, absolutely, all of that. First of all, business schools are often looked at with a fair amount of suspicion or derision within our education to begin with because they're seen as being somehow like too practical or not theoretical enough, yet there's a lot of theory that goes to the practice of management and leadership. But they are different already. And now I was trying to build a business school that was even more different. Yeah, right, than, yeah those than, were the words coming yeah, up. <laughs> yeah, that the university might have imagined. Where I got my strength from was there's always supporters. There can be a lot of detractors, but there's always supporters. People who are really rooting for you, and you're also doing it for them. I've always had a service orientation to my work wanting to make a positive difference and wanting to make things better for people. That always emboldened me. For sure, there were dark moments. But really knowing how much the students wanted to see this happen, it was really aligned with their values, but as well as employers. I was so encouraged as we began to change the curriculum and help students develop these skills I'll never forget there was an employer came to see me who had not previously hired our students. We had co-op programs were a big part, but he ultimately had hired a neighbor's daughter into the co-op program, and that was his sort of first experience with a Guelph student. But they became our biggest fans, and 
supporting the school financially with scholarships mm-hmm. and, and other donations and hiring as many students as they possibly could into the co-op and post-graduation. I was talking to him. The, the words I love to hear is that we had become their school of choice, their go-to place for talent. I was asking him, like, wow, just in a couple of years, they'd gone from not hiring any of our students to being a school of choice. When I asked him why, he really paused. He was struggling. Ultimately, he said, you know, Julia, your students are nice. <laughs> I thought that's so quintessentially yeah. Canadian. And I laughed and I said to him, I'm trying to build the brand of a business school. You have to give me more than nice. nice and, yeah. <laughs> and he reflected and he said, they know their stuff. They know their content, whether it's organizational behavior or marketing or finance or whatever the students were being hired for. They knew that. They knew they had their disciplinary content. But he said, more important than that, they work well in teams. They're mentorable. They don't have an ego. And they have great ideas. He said, because of all of that, they were inherently promotable. And he said, compared to the graduates of other business schools that came in with a very different attitude and and one he actually felt that the schools deliberately nurtured. We really did develop that unique brand. It was hearing from employers like that that I knew we were on the right path. I knew we were doing something very important. What really enhanced it was two very significant philanthropic gifts. One, the largest single gift in the university's history, $21 million, came from Kim and Stu Lang to name the school after Stu's father, Gordon. So it became the Gordon Lang School of Business and Economics. It was absolutely because there was an alignment of values. Then a second significant gift, $7 million, came from John Wood just before he passed. With the support of his family, we created the Wood Center for uh, Student Enterprise. Through that center, students from any program at the university could learn entrepreneurial skills. He really bought into this notion of business as a force for good. He and I both believed strongly that students from any program would benefit from some basic business acumen and entrepreneurial skills, that ability to ideate, to see a problem and be able to come up with a solution and then introducing a a business model. Now you've got this sustainable solution because it can become self-funding. It was folks external to the university that I could tell really valued what we were doing and wanted to step up and, and support the effort. One of the things I've observed is that we have to collaborate. We've got complex issues that are way bigger than any one person. If the person with the ego walks in and thinks they've got the answer, they're wrong from the beginning. That skill of collaboration is absolutely invaluable. You have to have it. And that also then positions you well internationally. Mm -hmm. Because if you contain it within North America, there's such a strong undercurrent of competitive Mm -hmm. profit motivation. If you look at it more widely, you end up with a whole lot more collaboration, readiness, attitude, willingness to get together and and work on some of these issues together. And cultural intelligence, right? The ability to get on with others who who may present as different to yourself. The whole social justice, quality, diversity, I think to have that orientation as well is really critical today. Now, what have you learned yourself wrestling through these issues? You're back on deck as the president of Yorkville U. Um, What have you learned from all of this? 
Oh, I've learned so many things. It was funny, after spending almost 35 years at the University of Guelph, I didn't think I was going to be moving on to another institution. But when the opportunity to join Yorkville came along, it was just too irresistible. Yorkville is Canada's largest private university. We have operations in British Columbia, Ontario, and New Brunswick. One of our claims to fame is that we're very accessible university in that we have very large graduate programs. We welcome in far more students than a public university might to a graduate program. Our largest is our Masters of Counseling Psychology program that prepares graduates to really support the mental health of others. We have a Masters of Education program with a number of areas of focus, including social justice. And and then we have a a BBA program across our, our three campuses. We have the Toronto Film School which prepares students um, to tell their own story and make a difference in the world through film. We have a number of other related programs in, in design and the arts. What I've learned about myself is just a profound need to serve and to make a difference in society. And what I know absolutely about higher education, it, it has the power to transform lives. But just like business, when it's done right, we need the right curriculum. We need a real focus on skills. What I love about the combination of programs we have at Yorkville, if you think about it, is the pillars of a healthy society. So mental health, education, sustainable commerce, the arts. Now I have an opportunity to serve as president and help shape this education and to transform lives, to help people find their path to benefit from a thoughtful education. All of our courses, our largest class sizes are 25. It's very unique within the Canadian higher education landscape to have such small courses. What we're working on now is making sure we capitalize on that in terms of the curriculum and the pedagogy and what our students can learn and and then the careers they can go on to have. I've just recently had the pleasure of presiding over convocations across the country and the stories that I heard from our students and the valedictorians about how this education had transformed their lives. In, in New Brunswick, we had students convocate from every province and territory in Canada. These are students who stayed in their communities because this was all our New Brunswick offering. It's like 100% online. Students can learn from anywhere. They stay within their communities. They graduate within their communities. And they go on to have an impact in their communities, bringing new knowledge, new approaches, new skills in mental health, in education, and in business, and and the arts. Pretty remarkable, pretty transformative. Collectively, we had students from 36 countries convocate. I guess I was just born to be an educational disruptor. Very grateful for my career at Guelph. And now I just had my one-year anniversary coming up as president of Yorkville and getting the lay of the land and so proud of what we're doing, but really committed to helping take us to the next level as well. Brilliant. Let's just close off with a bit of advice for students Mm -hmm. who are considering 
the lay of the land, the the eco-anxiety aspect of we know we're on a time crunch with respect to paying attention to the health and vitality of ecosystems and social systems. Mm -hmm. And then we've got a lot of schools that are still operating and businesses that are Mm -hmm. still operating as if none of that is relevant. What would you say to a student? What would you say to uh, other business schools or other faculties that are in their rut doing what they've always done? Mm -hmm. Well, to the students, I say, choose your programs wisely. Really understand by looking at the curriculum, the, the values that are presented there, and the work that the faculty do and the work that gets promoted. Are there sustainability leaders, people that are recognized for the work they're doing and the impact that it's having? Choose a school where you're not just going to be sitting in a classroom, but you're out in the community doing projects that have meaning within a lot of higher education. There's so much busy work for students and busy work for faculty. You, you want to learn the theory of your discipline or the school. Find the cool stuff, right? The, sometimes there are electives. They might even be out of your school or your, your faculty, but they can con- contribute, right, to the courses you need to graduate. Take every opportunity to do projects out in the community where you're going to develop your network, you're going to hone your skills, your collaboration skills, your communication skills, catch that bug for making a difference and know that you can make a profound difference. Students need to understand the actual power they have. They, they have a lot more than I think they sometimes realize. Choose your schools wisely. Choose your courses wisely. Look at the learning outcomes. We've just adopted 10 signature learning outcomes across Yorkville. I'm so proud of them and and they're very skills focused they're very much aligned with the united nations sustainable development goals as well as the work by rbc on humans wanted very skills and values focused ask to see the learning outcomes of the program that that you're thinking you might want to sign up for because that's going to tell you where you're headed the competencies that you're going to have the opportunity to develop and make sure those align with your own interests, but also that they're going to set you up for success and making a positive impact. For faculty, I guess I'd say the same thing. Choose your schools wisely, and leadership makes a ton of difference in terms of the direction that a business school takes. There's a number of business schools in Canada that are committed to sustainability. Check out the corporate Knights ranking, not the Financial Times. (laughs) Choose the right ranking. Understand the metrics that you're looking at. The corporate Knights, it's a global ranking, and a number of Canadian schools rank very highly. For people that want to go to business school, but business school with a difference, check out corporate Knights. Yeah, great advice. And now what would you say to business schools that are not even building the kind of ecosystem of relationships that you've invested in at Yorkville. How do you see this community of business schools all contributing towards something bigger? Well, I think ultimately they're not going to have any choice that will come because the accreditation system has changed and all business schools aspire to be accredited mm. by either ASCSB or AFMD or both. Yeah. So they can, they're not going to be able to avoid it. It's coming. Like it or not, it's coming. But there will always be the the Financial Times ranking of MBA programs where where schools will say, this is our yardstick. I think there's a lot of disruption that's going to be happening within the business school landscape and within MBAs in particular. People are going to become much more selective about the focus of the program and, and the skills that they're aspiring to develop. 
MBA programs in particular are going to shift to additional areas of specialization and skill, whether it's sustainability, ESG kinds of reporting, data analytics, sustainable enterprise. There's so much disruption happening within business, and and the MBA programs are going to have to align with that. The other direction of the disruption is just some of the businesses, big businesses, are setting yeah. up their own universities because they're not getting what they need from universities. They're Absolutely. just doing their own thing. I think education is going to have to become far more embedded, and I expect to see a lot more partnerships yeah. so that people are earning a degree while they're working, applying their lessons on the job, and with the programs being employer-supported to varying degrees. I came across something with Elon Musk on YouTube where he was saying, you don't have to go to university. Everything is available. It's all online, which then tells you that the reason why you do go to university is so you can sit down and meet people from 38 countries, the number you gave earlier. It's in the community and the network and the relationships. The strongest equity will be found. I absolutely agree, and I think it's interesting that the core of your statement is asking a very provocative question, and it's what is the role of universities in a world where everyone has information in the palm of their hand? You want to learn anything? Search YouTube, right? What is the role of university when information is ubiquitous? It's the skills. It's the skills to assess the validity of that information. It's the skills that allow you to apply that information once you've judged it to be credible, to imagine what could be achieved through the application or integration of information, to solve problems, to create solutions. This is where universities that continue to embrace the lecture one-way information transfer, tests that only assess recall. How can that be relevant today? We need different learning outcomes, different pedagogies, different assessments, and opportunities for students to develop their skills and their networks and community. Whole community. So many students today are really feeling the pressure of the world and to create a very human and supportive learning community is also increasingly essential. Mm-hmm. I think that probably would also tap into a different skill set within the business schools in terms of leadership, vision, the capacity to build relationships and respect relationships. It's, it's not transactional. Disney has been demonstrating how to do transactional decision-making lately, yeah. <laughs> but it's not transactional. It's much more relational. I'm so glad you use that word transactional and then countered with relational. It's actually the conclusion of a book that I co-edited that just launched two weeks ago. It's called Taking Stock 2.0, Transforming Teaching and Learning in Higher Education. It was interesting. The two co-editors, Joy Mighty and Denise Stockley and myself, we've all either been current or former presidents of the Society for Teaching and Learning in Higher Education. That's a, a national organization that brings faculty and administrators together with a a commitment to reform higher education. We did a call for this book on research that was really going to demonstrate the ways that higher education in Canada had begun to transform. We started that book (laughs) pre-COVID. Then the pandemic hit and people were working on these chapters during the pandemic under different themes. So high impact, pedagogical practices, How do we do a better job engaging students? 
how do we best engage with communities. We had a number of different themes and, and just invited contributions. I had the pleasure of being the lead author on the final chapter, and that meant that I read very carefully every chapter and looked for those common themes that I could pull together at the end of the book. And the common theme was Karen. Mm. So simple. Yes, it was a call to move from the transactional approach of higher education where I'm the instructor, I tell you to do these things, you do these things, I give you a grade, to truly caring, to creating a community of care. I had not expected it. We hadn't done a call for papers on the need to shift from transactional to relational, but that is what everyone Pretty much every chapter in the book ended up touching on. I was just amazed, but I couldn't have been more pleased or in agreement with that is the message of our time. We need to create caring communities in which people can truly learn. I have a, a little block print beside my desk that says compassion is uh, the understanding, it's the interrelationship and interconnectedness of all things. Consciousness is not useful. The higher levels of self-awareness is not useful unless you have caring to go with it. There is a triad there of care, compassion, and connection, consciousness. I have a list of C words for decision-making. But it's just to say that's it. Caring counterbalances everything else we've seen that absolutely makes no sense. If we do not care, then biodiversity will continue to drop We're not moving, we're not changing as a species, but we have to. Mm -hmm. So what do we want to wait for? Until we hit the wall, or can we think ahead, see ahead, use some foresight, and and develop from there? It's really a relief to hear that. I'm I'm grateful. It's available on Amazon. My two co-editors and myself, we agreed to receive no royalties from the book, and that it's going to support the society's equity, diversity, and inclusion initiative. It's reasonably priced on Amazon. To to go back to your earlier point, if we're going to live that vision, if we're really going to move beyond the individual disruptors and change makers who contributed chapters to the book, we, we talk about moving beyond renegade to systems level change, right? There's po- beautiful, wonderful pockets of innovation on every campus in this country. But the trick is, how do we make that the standard? Mm -hmm. What is it about the system that needs to change to support that radical transformation? One of the big things we have to change is how we select and reward faculty, because it's very difficult to have people teach these skills if they don't have them themselves. We need to move beyond having the PhD and a publication record as the primary criteria, although those things are important. We need to be assessing people's emotional intelligence, their ability to work well with others, to be nurturing, to want to mentor others in learning pursuits. Of course, we have traditionally at the big public universities huge class sizes. So how do you do that, right? We have to start to say if we're very serious about creating caring communities of learning, what are the most significant aspects of the system that are going to need to change? That's why I'm delighted to be at Yorkville, because here, I believe, I have an opportunity to build on what is already wonderful and and to help take things to the next level. Yeah, it's about ethos. 
the fundamental ethos, the core ethos that yeah. runs the, the uh, philosophy behind the schools. Thank you. Yeah. Anything else that we didn't uh, touch on? Just thank you. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for your interest. Thanks for your time. Uh, it's been lovely to reflect on all of this. Well, it's very exciting. Clearly, we need business schools to be up to the mark uh, for the challenges we face. We will be working collaboratively to solve these big issues. Racism, name the issue. If it's complex in nature, it requires collaboration. Mm-hmm. We're going to need it depart from that competition rut if it, and, uh, and step up to something that uh, shows a lot more confidence and trust in human creative talent. Absolutely. Thanks for being on the program, Julia. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Whether you recognize that digital transformation is a thing or not, whether or not you can see the loss of biodiversity as an existential threat or climate change or any of these other large issues that get in the way of achieving human potential, transformation is in front of us. It's the opportunity. It's the invitation. And disruption is the doorway. I hope from this conversation with Julia, you've gotten some sense of what business school changes uh, are like, definitely one of the more difficult systemic changes to make, but one that is absolutely essential if business schools are to stay relevant to what's going on in the rest of the world. And of course, business is not exempt from that either. This entire podcast is dedicated to inspiring some changes just by virtue of not waiting for the crisis to hit, but by seeing it coming down the road and to adapt accordingly. My name is Donna Jones. I'm your host. I'm also specializing in adaptive decision-making. Context can dictate the process for decision-making. Opportunities do not get missed, but get seen and seized as an advantage. Thank you for joining me. If you enjoyed this program, please share it. Please comment, offer reviews, connect to me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram.